Acts 1 verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Are you a good witness as a Christian? Do we sometimes think we should leave witnessing about our faith to the experts who've been trained to do it? Well, let me give you a definition that I found of an expert witness. Right. An expert witness is a person whose opinion, by virtue of education, training, certification, skills or experience, is accepted as an expert. An expert witness should have specialised scientific, technical or other opinion. Expert witnesses may also deliver expert evidence within the area of their expertise. Well, you can relax. This is not the type of witness that we are called to be. Learned theologians or Billy Graham type evangelists, well, maybe. But just ordinary you and me, I don't think so. As we continue our series on natural evangelism, we're going to look today at how we share our faith and how we can witness to it. Last week, John talked about friendship evangelism. Most people come to faith through friendships, where a relationship has been established, making it natural for us to share our faith. And this could be in our families, our communities, or where we go to work or have leisure. And this week we are aiming to put some bones on that as we look at what we share, why we share it, and how we share our faith. So firstly, what? is the story we are going to share. What is his story? The story of God's salvation. So to begin with, we need to be clear as to what his story is. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Have you thought through how you would describe God's story, the story, in a way that current hearers could understand, in a way that people with no Christian background would understand? We have tried to describe the story in terms of which our society could understand, based loosely on Ephesians 1 and 2. We try to avoid religious jargon, but maybe you can do better. Here we go. God is holy, awesome, and so powerful, he made the world and universe in all its complexity, and he designed it so that we, his creation, could be, would be in relationship with him. He loved humankind and longed that we would love him in return. But of course, that love means we have free will. To make something that would automatically love him would mean we were mere robots. However, 
Humankind used that free will to do wrong things, sin. And that meant we could no longer be in relationship with a holy God. So as described in Genesis, we were thrown out of the Garden of Eden where we had been designed to live with God. God's love was so great, however, and his desire that we would love him in return so great that he sent his own self in the form of his son to die for our sins, to take the punishment, so that this holy God could have relationship with those who, out of free will, accepted his son as their saviour. So once we heard and believed this truth, the message of salvation, said sorry and turned away from our previous ways, we could become free people, free of penalties and punishments chalked up by our misdeeds, and not just barely free either, abundantly free, eternally. And there's more. God raised Jesus from the dead and set him on the throne in heaven in charge of running the universe. No name or power is exempt from his rule, and not just for the time being, but forever. Those without Christ have let the world tell them how to live. They filled their lungs with polluted unbelief and then breathed out disobedience. We all did it. We all did and do what we feel like doing when we felt like doing it. It's a wonder God hasn't washed his hands of us and decided to do away with the lot of us and start again. But instead, in his great mercy and with incredible love, he has embraced us. He's taken our sin-dead lives and made us alive by saving us. It was all his idea, his gift to us from start to finish. It's highly unlikely that we will ever have the chance to go through the description of salvation's plan without being interrupted, without someone, as it were, switching off. You can see it in their eyes. But just to think it through like this enables us to be able to describe some important aspects in everyday language. A couple of years ago, we were privileged to spend a week working in a YWAM family camp in Slovakia. And it was an amazing experience, but an exhausting one. As we boarded the plane home, we slumped in our seats, ready to doze the journey away. Alan took the middle seat, and I'd already closed my eyes when a man took the aisle seat next to him. He was obviously in a chatty mood, introduced himself as Derek, and asked, been on holiday? Well, I replied that actually we had spent the last week working for a Christian charity called YWAM. I guess I figured that that word, Christian, <laughs> that he may decide he didn't want to say anything else, and I could go back to dozing. But not so. And he said, um, to my surprise, he, 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 was, he wasn't put off and he, and he wanted to know more. All sorts of questions started flowing from him. And, uh, and as the, the plane went on, of course, we were sat together. And um, 
The conversation continued. In the meantime, I was by my window seat, just losing consciousness, when I heard Derek ask, so what is a Christian then? I was instantly awake and spent the rest of the journey praying for Alan as he shared his faith with Derek and Derek shared the problems of his life with Alan. We have no way of knowing if Derek has gone into onto having a relationship with Jesus, but we continue to pray for him and that any seed sown during that conversation would take root and develop into a living faith for him. So, that was what. Now let's look at why. And that's our story. Why do we want to share the gospel? After all, we could just stay here, a nice, cosy group of people, enjoying fellowship with one another. Take away all the hassle. Well, we want to share our faith because Jesus commanded us to do so. And because a relationship with Jesus is so transformative that it can change our lives and our situations. Do we believe that? Or are we unsure? Do we feel passionate about that? Or are we apathetic? Because to be disciples of Jesus, we should be filled with a passion for him and a longing to share what we've discovered with others. Shouldn't we? Some years ago, while I was working as a district nurse in Stockport, I was involved in an incident and was subsequently subpoenaed to appear in court as a witness. My NHS bosses brought along the trust lawyers who spent ages preparing me for court. Using my witness statement, I was endlessly rehearsed and prepared for every possible question that might be put to me. I was terrified. However, I felt so strongly about what I had witnessed and I wanted to make sure that the truth of the incident I'd seen was conveyed and justice was done. So I was more than willing to go and to testify to what I'd seen. But the experience made me think about the witness that we give as for about our faith as Christians. Do we feel strongly about what we believe? Do we want to convey the truth of our faith, which is more vital and real than anything else in the world? Paul definitely had a passion to share this truth. Just before our reading at verse 11, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. It's that important, he says. I want to share what's happened to me. And in our reading, he goes on to tell them about his life before his dramatic conversion, his actual conversion experience, and what has happened since. A sort of before, during, and after synopsis 
that no doubt we're going to have a lot of during the coming months surrounding the election. I think the difference here is that Paul isn't spinning a story, but telling in a passionate and sincere way the unvarnished truth about his experience of Jesus. Something else I learned from my court witness experience was that in that situation, I was just testifying to a one-off incident that I'd seen. As Christians, our experience isn't one-off, is it? Some years ago, my parents celebrated their golden wedding. At a celebratory meal, various speeches of congratulations were given. Not surprisingly, these speeches didn't say, oh, they had a wonderful wedding day. No, they included anecdotes about the things that had happened in the 50 years of my parents' marriage. In the same way, our relationship with God is something that is ongoing and dynamic and evolving and should give us current stuff that we want to share. So if I said, I had an amazing, mind-blowing experience of God in 1971, but not much has happened since. I'm not sure anybody would want to know anymore. So, we've looked at what is the story we want to share, why we want to share our story, and now we're going to look at how we go about it. So how? As we look at how we share our faith, we may need to begin with whom we're sharing it with. In other words, their story. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.18, Though I am free and belonging to no one, I have made myself a slave to win as many as possible. And again in verse 22, To the weak I became weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. So as an example, in, verse 16, in Acts 16, we find Paul in Philippi and read, On the Sabbath we went out the city gate onto the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Tyratyra named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And then, in Acts 17, the next chapter, Paul's in Thessalonica, in Greece. And in verse 2, as was his custom, Paul went to the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. He was thrown out of that city for doing so. And, after the, and the same thing happened in Berea, the next one along. And so he travelled on to Athens. And there philosophers began, became interested in uh, what the babbler was saying, it says in verse 18. So he is brought to their debating chamber, the Areopagus, and Paul's recorded saying there, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, 
I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So, you are ignorant to the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. You may remember the quote. So, women washing cloth by the river, Jews worshipping in the synagogue, and philosophers in their debating chamber, Paul addresses them all in ways they can understand. It's been said that people seeking faith come out of three situations. They come because they're experiencing a crisis of some sort, or out of curiosity, or because of a conviction they have. So firstly, crises. In so many of the crises around the world that we read in our newspapers and see in our screens, it's Christians who are at the forefront of giving aid. In our day-to-day lives, shouldn't we seek to do the same? The meals delivered by this church to folk who are ill is just one example. But what about a a neighbour who's been bereaved? a work colleague who's going through a marital breakdown, a parent at the school gate who's juggling caring for a father with dementia with looking after a young family, a friend who's being made redundant, a relative with mental health issues. The list is endless, and equally endless are the ways that we can befriend those people showing the love and the compassion that Jesus demonstrated and showing this in practical as well as non-practical ways. And secondly, curiosity. What provokes curiosity? Well, when people see something different in us, when we show grace or kindness in an unexpected situation, perhaps. When we were running this year's marriage preparation course, one couple came to us and asked who the caterers were, as the meal was so lovely and they were looking for caterers for their wedding. When we explained that all the cooking and, uh, and catering and, and serving and washing up and so on had been done by volunteers, they were amazed. But why would they be like that? When we go to Bulgaria with Krasivade, our neighbour is really intrigued as to why we would bother to do that. Why spend the money going out there? What's the reason behind it? Curiosity. What we do or show that will provoke those questions of curiosity in your situation, if the answer is, well, nothing, then maybe we need to go right back to basics and look at the salvation of God that's on offer and whether we really do have a dynamic relationship with him. When I was a teenager on a church youth camp, the grace and love shown to me by a youth leader when I was unwell evoked curiosity in me as why this young man should be so caring. I'd actually thrown up all over his tent. That's inside the tent. I was acutely embarrassed by it. I was really acutely embarrassed about it. But I was astounded. Instead of being revolted and, uh, and angry, he showed me real love and compassion. 
And so that led to my conversion, curiosity. Why would he be like that? We may never see the results of someone else's curiosity. But in God's economy, every time we live our lives as a whole life disciple, not a moment is wasted and could be used by him as someone else's journey. Mm -hmm. Don't underestimate the seeds that God may sow in people's lives through the little and the big things that we do. And thirdly, conviction. When I became a Christian, it came from a place of being dissatisfied with my life and a conviction that I had to change. Life had to be different. There are so many people around us as we get to know them who are dissatisfied with their life. And you don't have to scratch the surface very much to find a deeply held conviction that they long for things to be same, to be different, to not be the same, to change. Some of those on the Alpha course are perhaps allowing that conviction to surface. Maybe for those of us who've been Christians for many years, maybe we carry a conviction that we're not living our lives as whole life disciples of Jesus in the way that we should. For Paul, that conviction came in the form of a blinding light on the road to Damascus as he heard Jesus' voice. John, my former boss, went to his daughter's 30th birthday party in Slovakia, actually, where this, the other story was, but a different time, different situation. And one of the friends said to him, one of her friends said to him, you must be a Christian. I can tell by your smile. Well, he wasn't. He knew he wasn't. But it was that situation, that statement, which, was, which convicted him and which led him then to, to come onto a men's... Uh, one of our men of Aldridge things, and then on to Alpha, and now he is uh, active in his local church in Streetly. Praise the Lord. Whenever and whenever that conviction comes, it needs to be acted upon so that growth in disciples can take place for ourselves, maybe in small groups through prayer, triplets, or Bible study, we can be supported and encouraged to grow in our faith. For those around us, that conviction can be led and nurtured through our love, care and friendship as we meet them where they are, listening to their story. So in conclusion, God in his great love for us sent Jesus to die for us. Jesus was raised from the dead so that we might have new life in him that's his story. And that is so powerful when we share it from a place of conviction within our own lives. When we share the impact on our daily lives of God's continuing power at work. That's our story. And as we come alongside others right where they are, whether that be from a place of crisis, curiosity or conviction... 
or for that matter, apathy or antagonism, we can truly demonstrate God's love for them as we walk with them in their story. Right now, are we prepared to share these stories? We'd like to finish with a prayer that uh, those in small groups uh, will be using. So let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you came to live among us to bring God's story. Thank you that as our story intersects with your story, we find ourselves in eternal history. We offer our stories to you and ask that you would help us to communicate them effectively to those around us. Understanding it is our lives that are the living, breathing evidence of the good news of the kingdom of God. We also pray that everyone who will hear the story in the weeks, months and years to come, and we ask that you would go before us to prepare them for what we have to say. In your name, amen.